Back about uh, six weeks ago, we began a series entitled, I Believe, and it was intended to address a number of fundamentals. I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, I believe uh, the church that Jesus built with his blood, I, I believe in the purity and the holiness of that church, I believe in the purity and holiness of the worship and doctrine of that church. We've talked about all those things. Today we're going to bring this to a close, and I know that those icons that I have created up there, uh, many were wanting to hear that last one. Um, you may have to wait a little while on that. But um, uh, there are some of the things that maybe you're saying, oh, I was wanting to hear you talk about that. We'll, we'll readdress this at a later time. But what I would like to do is to finish this up today, because number one, School's about to start again. Summer's just about over. And uh, number two, I wanted to kind of clear the way for some things preparatory for our friends' uh, friendship day. But I want to bring this to a close uh, this morning with this lesson. I believe in free will. I believe that we have the right to choose whether we'll obey God or whether we won't. When I began this series back at the beginning of summer... I made reference to a passage in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20 that says, the summer is ended and we're not saved. God has given us periods of time, uh, has been gracious and long-suffering, allowing us to take care of things and to get ready. And and these people had been given a summer and, and harvest is over, summer is ended, and they still weren't saved. And it was their own fault. They had no one to blame but themselves. God had been gracious. They had taken advantage of his graciousness. I don't want to end this summer and have us walk out the door today and say, you know, summer's just about over and I'm not saved. I wanted to talk about for the last few weeks about things, why we ought to do the things that we ought to do. Why should you believe in God? Because he's real. Why should you do what the Bible says? Because it is the word, it is the inspired word of that God that is invisible. Why should um, we be members of the church? Because it is the express wisdom of God. And why should we live holy lives as members of the church? Because we have been called to be God's point of contact with the world so that through us, the reflection of Jesus can be seen and people even living today, though they've never seen Jesus, they can see Jesus in us. And we have to represent and that that requires holiness. I want to close this series with why I believe in free will. Because all those things that we've talked about lead up to this. You have a choice. Now, not everybody believes you have a choice. In fact, I have a quote here from the Westminster Confession of Faith that says this. God has predestined and foreordained some men and angels to everlasting life out of his free grace and love without any, now get this, without any foresight of faith or works in man or perseverance in either of them. And others are foreordained to everlasting death. And the number of either is so certain and definite that it cannot be increased or diminished. That's what some folks say and believe. And a lot of people say and believe. 
I have two problems that just jump off the page at me when I read this. Two observations that I'd like to share with you, and you probably picked up on them as well. Number one, God has preordained certain people to heaven and hell. And that preordination or that predestination of those individuals is not based on anyone's... God didn't look into the future. You know, somebody might say, well, predestination, yeah, well, God knows what we're going to be, and so that he already... This belief says that God has predetermined certain people to go to hell, certain people to go to heaven, and it has nothing to do with him looking into the future and seeing, well, what's that person going to end up being? And then I'll predestine them. Oh, I know him. He's going to end up being a scoundrel, so he's going to be lost. I predetermined that he's lost. Without reference to faith or perseverance, continuing to do good or bad, God just arbitrarily, by his grace, said, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven. Two things strike me about that. One is, what about the justice of God? How can you believe that God is a good God and that his throne, the foundation of his throne is based on justice if he doesn't give anybody a chance? Can you believe that God would let us, I don't even get to live my, I don't, there's no, it's already determined. That's what some folks say. And the second thing that jumps off the page at me as I look at this is Futility. Where's the motive? Where's the, where's the desire? What, what motivates me to go ahead and be a good person? What, why do I have to do anything? Where, I can't change anything. Why work hard? Because I can't change anything. I can't change you. I can't change myself. So why deny myself and work so hard trying to change people when it doesn't matter? I can't change you anyway. It's already determined. Does the Bible teach that? This is a confession of faith. This is what one particular religious body holds as what the Bible teaches. That this number has been predetermined before we ever lived our life. It's not based on what you may do someday down the road in your life when you eventually get here. It's already been determined. And the number is so certain, you cannot diminish from it or add to it. Nobody's going to change this. Nobody has the power to do so. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I believe in free will. And I'd like for us to look at a few passages that uh, show us what the Bible does teach. However, let me say this first. I believe the Bible teaches predestination. I believe the Bible teaches that God has elected some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. But listen carefully as I say this. I don't believe in the Calvinistic model of predestination, but I do believe the Bible teaches predestination. And, well, let's open our Bibles together to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, let's begin in verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to his good pleasure of his will. The Bible teaches predestination. We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. And he also says predestined. Oh, wait a second. You just said you didn't believe that stuff, that paragraph I just read. Why well, don't? But the Bible teaches predestination, but not the model as set forth in that statement. And I think I can illustrate it in this fashion. We have four sections of pews here. Let's say this were school, and I'm the teacher. And before any of you came into this building, I came in here, and I was looking at my classroom, and I said, you know what I think I'm going to do? Let's see. Everybody sits in this section is going to get an A. These people are going to get a B. These people are going to get a C. And these folks over here are going to get a D. Folks in the foyer, they get an F. Okay, <laughs> um, but that, that's what I decide before anybody ever comes in. That's predetermined. And so you all come in and you don't know what you're doing. You just come in, you take a seat. And if you all sit over here, you get an A. You sit here, you get a B. Sit here, you get a C, D, four your F. Is that fair? I mean, would you, would you, I mean, not knowing anything or what you need to do or so forth, just you sit down and, and regardless of how you do in class, regardless of the work that you do, whether you write your papers or not, it's already been predetermined whoever sits where you get an A, an a or a B or a C. You know, that's what some people say. That's the way God did it. He predetermined, not based on who you are, what you've done. He just predetermined, hey, you get an A, you go to heaven, you, you go to hell. There's another way that this can be done and done with justice. What if I'm teaching this class again and I say to you all, listen, I've predetermined before you all got in this class that if you get a 93 to 100, you're going to get an A. And if you get like an 86 to a 93, you're going to get a B. And if you get a 70, a C, and below that, a D. And I, I, I've predetermined that. You're not going to change my mind on that. But now the difference in that model and the first model is you don't have any choice. It's just random, arbitrary. The second model, I've also made a predetermination. I predestined that everybody between a 93 and 100 is going to get an A. But it's your choice whether you want to fall within that range. You set it, the limits for yourself. You see, that's the sense in which God has predestined us. Is there a biblical doctrine of predestination? Yes, and here's what it says. If you are in him, in Jesus, you're saved. If you're out of him, you're lost. God predetermined that before he laid the foundation of the world. If you're in my son, you're going to go to heaven. If you're not, you, there's no hope for you. 
But now it's our choice where we want to be. Do I choose to be with God in heaven? Do I choose to get... And look at the book of Ephesians. Look at the passages that speak of qualified by in him in these passages. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Um, Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us, not arbitrarily, he chose us in him. Um, Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption. Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Look at verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in all, uh, in one, all things in Christ. Verse 11, in him we have attained an inheritance. And you just keep going through the chapter. God has predetermined, predestined, elected everybody in him to go to heaven. But it's our choice whether we want to go or whether we want to be in him or not. You see, the first model says you have no choice, nothing. Predestination involves God's absolute sovereign control, and you can't do anything about it. You can't choose to go to heaven or hell. It's just done. The other model says God predetermined before the foundation of the earth who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell, and it's going to be determined by who's in him. But I'll leave that up to you to decide for yourself. That's what the Bible teaches with regard to predestination. There is human choice. And it's, sometimes it's expressed this way. God chose the plan and not the man. Uh, God chose the way to be saved, but he didn't choose the individual who would be saved. That, that's up to you. Look at also another passage or look at a few passages with me. If there's no free will... If that first page is true that we just looked at, that first slide, and that we have no power to change anything, it is predetermined, it has nothing to do with looking ahead in the future and seeing what a person's going to become, then I've got a few questions. If that's the way it really works, then why did God give us Mark 16 and verse 15? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Why should I spend my money and my effort and risk my life and all the sacrifices that are involved? Why did we send 36, 35-some people just a few months ago down to Honduras to go preach to people down there if nothing can change, if we can't change a person's destiny? Why would we do that? Why would Wendell go to Cuba? Why would Rick go to Macronesia? Why would... Uh, Julia and Evelyn Apple go to Peru. Why, why are all these people from this congregation going all over the world with the gospel if we can't change anything? It doesn't make sense. If there's no free will, why would Joshua say to the people in Joshua 24 and verse 15, you know, you can serve the gods of your fathers on the other side of the river, or you can join me and serve the God of heaven. And he says, choose you this day who you'll serve. Why choose 
why tell people to do what they can't do in the first place if that doctrine is true? If there is no free will, why would Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why would Jesus dangle that carrot out in front of people if they can't choose to take it? Come unto me. Well, well, really, you can't. It's already been predetermined. doesn't make sense in that context. Why would, and this is the passage uh, that was just read in, in Revelation chapter 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. Look, look at the invitations and look at how universal it is. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears, come. And let him who thirsts, come. And let whosoever wills, come. And take of the waters of life freely. Why would God make an invitation like that if we can't obey it? Why would he invite us to something that we don't have the power to take and grasp for ourselves? The Bible doesn't make sense. What's the purpose of the Bible if there's no free will? If God has already determined before we were born whether you're going to heaven or hell and you cannot change it, what are we doing here today? Because we can't change anything. But the fact of the matter is, we do have free will. And we have choices. And I want to give you three choices that you have this morning. Turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. And I want to show you the first choice you have. And that's the choice of your master. In Romans chapter 6... Verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And if you just jump down a little bit and look at verses 20 through 23, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I mean, when you live in a sin, you say, okay, I choose sin. You have no obligation toward righteousness. You don't have to worry about how you behave, what your conduct is. You're free. If you let sin be your master, you're free with regard to righteousness. But on the other hand, if you choose to make righteousness your master, then you don't have to worry about these other things. You don't sin. You don't live for it anymore. But the point is, you have a choice. Paul says... You're going to belong to whomever you choose to belong to. If you give yourself to sin, it's going to be your master. Or you can give yourself to the Lord and he'll be your master. The choice is yours. Look at another choice in Matthew chapter 7, and that is a choice of roads. We're all probably familiar with the passage here in Matthew chapter 7 describing two roads And as he describes these roads, he says there is one way that is narrow. There's another way that is broad. And uh, the narrow way is difficult. And the broad way 
it, well, it's easy. You have a choice. Which, which road do you want to travel in life? Do you want to travel that one that is narrow and difficult, or do you want to travel that one that is broad and easily traveled? Why present two positions, two ways, if we don't have a choice to make concerning those ways? We have a choice of how we're going to live our life. Which lives? Which road are we going to choose? And then third, we have a choice of destinies. In Matthew chapter 7, same passage, verses 13 and 14, we have the choice of traveling that narrow road that leads to life or that broad road that leads, leads to death. Choice is ours. I believe in free will. And the point of all of this this summer in talking about I believe is to bring us to a decision. We have come to the end of the summer, in essence. School's going to start up. That's kind of, I mean, I know technically we'll go out to September before it's over with. But in essence, school starts back up. We quit doing our vacations and so forth. Summer's over. So with reference to that, I want us to go back to Jeremiah, where we started, finish full circle. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20, the Bible says, summer is ended and we're not saved. And so the question is asked, well, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician who can heal you? Well, of course there is. Why would a people be sick and dying if there was a balm to heal them and a physician to make them well? It doesn't make sense. Why would we be sin sick and dying spiritually if there is a balm that can heal us and a physician who is willing to help? Point is, there is. The balm is the blood of Jesus Christ. The physician is Jesus himself. There is a remedy. And yet there may still be some who are here at the end of summer and you're still not saved. Can I ask you as we sing this song of encouragement in just a minute to think about your life, the time that God has given you, the grace that he's shown, the long-suffering that he's shown. He's given us time to exercise our free will. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We've come to the end of summer, and now it's a time to make a decision. Has the summer come to an end and you're not saved? If you say, well, yeah, I'm afraid it has. Well, then my next question is this. Is there no balm? Is there no physician? Can nobody do anything for you? I, I don't believe that's the case. There is a balm. There is a physician. The question is, what about your free will? Will you accept it? Do you choose to be saved as this summer comes to an end? Or do you choose to remain in rebellion to God? Think about that. Don't, don't gamble with your soul. If there are things that you need prayed over in your life, if you want the church to pray with you, we'll do that. Don't, don't let those things go unconfessed and uh, stay impenitent. 
If you haven't yet obeyed the gospel of Christ by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you know that's what you should do, but you just haven't stepped out and done it, don't let the summer end and not be saved when there is such a balm accessible. There's such a physician who is willing. If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.